Well, good morning. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. It is good to be with you guys together this uh, Christmas Eve, like the double Christmas Eve, right? Christmas Eve, Eve, as Andy said about it. Just glad to be with you guys. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but at our house at Pepin headquarters, uh, we are real ready for Christmas. Uh, Earlier this week, Hannah broke down and just let Caleb open the rest of the days on his advent calendar. It was just like, I can't anymore. We're just... They're just gonna just gonna hammer them all out and call it good, right? So so we are we are real excited for Christmas at the Pepin household. Uh, but I'm also excited to get to study God's Word with you guys this morning. Uh, last week, we, we began a new series uh, going through the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we'll be in the Gospel of Matthew most of this coming year together as we study God's Word here on Sunday mornings. And um, what we saw is that the, the word gospel, it means good news. And, and last week, we saw how Matthew's Gospel begins with the proclamation of the best news that the world had ever heard. And it comes in the form of a baby announcement. The, the long-awaited son of Adam, son of Abram, son of David, he's come, and his name is Jesus. And so Matthew, the book of Matthew begins with the Christmas story. See what we did there? See the timing? Just incredibly good, right? You should be proud of me. I planned that, okay? I don't plan things very well, but I planned that. It was good. So Matthew, we saw Matthew began his announcement of Jesus with his genealogy, his family resume. And we saw last week that that, is, that was anything but boring. Last uh, And this week, Matthew continues his announcement of Jesus by telling us the miraculous story of Jesus' birth. And I, I don't know about you, uh, but my wife, she loves birth stories. It's like one of her favorite things in the whole universe. She loves telling her own birth story about you know, our kids. She loves hearing everyone else's birth stories. She's the kind of, she wants all the details and all the emotions and all the feelings. And it's like, well, that happened. Well, how did you feel about that thing when that happened? And then after that, what did you say to them? And then they did this. And how did you feel? about the thing that the thing that the thing right she wants all of the information and all of the details she just loves birth stories and i remember after we had our first daughter emma uh we had friends you know people would come over meet the baby or or they'd come over bring dinner or something like that and i'd be talking with the guy and hannah be talking with the with uh, the woman who who you know who had come over and and i remember like about a minute and a half in uh my conversation has moved on to sports or something else um because uh, the conversations that I had kind of went something like this, like, hey, how'd it go? It was good. Everybody's, everybody's doing good? Yeah. Baby, huh? Yeah. Okay, good. All right, moving on, right? And on the other side of the room, Hannah's like 30 minutes in, and she's just getting to the part where we get to the hospital, right? And I'm sitting over here thinking, I am running out of stuff to talk about. Wrap it up. Like, we, we can't have time for every one of the details. And so... Uh, and good news for the guys this morning, the birth story that Matthew gives us is from the dad's perspective. Seven verses. You want Mary's perspective, you head over to Luke. You got like 150 verses right there, right? There is all the feelings and all the emotions and all the details is over in Luke, so you can head over there for that. But just because Jesus' birth story here in Matthew is short in length does not mean that it is short on important details. You see, last week we saw how the genealogy of Jesus, it didn't include every single name in the line of Jesus. Rather, it included very specific and intentional names because Matthew was trying to point out something about who Jesus was and what he came to do. And so the same is true here as we think about Jesus' birth story. See, the, ma- the details that Matthew gives us are really important. He doesn't give us all of the details. He gives us the most important ones. 
You see, and the details are here that we see in this birth story are really, really important. And they're there because Matthew's trying to tell us something important about who Jesus is and about what he came to do. And so as we studied this morning, there's three things that I just want to point out uh, that I think Matthew is trying to emphasize as he tells us the story of Jesus' birth. And I think the three things are this. He wants to, he wants to show us the divinity of Jesus. He wants to show us the humanity of Jesus. But also Matthew is trying to help us see what the mission of Jesus is. And so in light of that, let's pray and then we'll dive into God's word as we study this morning. Jesus, we are so grateful for you. God, thank you that we get to celebrate and come here this morning to celebrate you, to, to remember that you are the God who came for us. And so God, we are so grateful to get to do that this Christmas season. We are thankful for, for you and for your word. God, and what we do as we come together, we just say, God, we need you. We need you to empower us to be able to hear and respond rightly to your word. But God, I need you to fill me so that our, our time together is worthwhile and valuable, God. And, and anything I have to say would come from you. And so, Jesus, we, we come dependent on you. And so, God, as we study this morning, we, we ask that you would keep showing us more of who you are, that the, we would come to behold and know and love and follow you, Jesus, more because we've been in your word and we've met you there. And so we need you to be the one that does that by your spirit in us. So we just come with dependent hearts, thankful that you meet us in our need for you, Jesus. In your good name, amen. Well, we are this morning in the latter half of Matthew chapter 1. We're in verses 18 through 25. You see, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her father, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she had given birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You see, three things this morning I think Matthew is trying to highlight for us in the, in the miraculous story of Jesus' birth. And I think the first thing that Matthew is trying to highlight is the divinity of Jesus. You see, in no uncertain terms, Matthew is making clear that Jesus is God. He tells us this three different ways in the passage. First, in verse 18, he says, he says his name is not just Jesus, it's Jesus the Messiah. You see, that word Messiah it means anointed one, or, or rather anointed king, and it's the tone and the connotation is that the Messiah is the king, the one king, the true and better king, that the Messiah is God. Additionally, in verse 18, Mary is found to be pregnant, it says, through the Holy Spirit. Matthew tells us that Joseph is not Jesus' biological father, he's his adoptive father. And so who is Jesus' father? The pastor says that God is, the Spirit of God is. We saw this first last week in Jesus' in Jesus's genealogy. I don't know if you remember this, we were here last week. Matthew's genealogy begins and he, he says that there's a structure to it. In verse 17 he says, and so there's 14 generations in each of these three sections of the genealogy that, that he writes about Jesus. But if you, really, if you read closely, there's only 13 generations in the last set. There's 14 in the first, and there's 14 in the second. There's only 13 names in that last set because the 14th father is God himself. You see, Matthew is trying to be overt and obvious. You see, Jesus is God. He is divine. And let me just, uh, let me just take a minute to be clear about a few things here. First, 
What the Bible is not teaching about the, the virgin birth here is, is that God came down and had sex with Mary and impregnated her. That's paganism. That's, just, that's a whole different thing, right? Secondly, people have always doubted the idea of the virgin birth, or more, more, more accurately, I suppose, the virgin conception. It wasn't any more plausible back in Joseph's day than it was in our day today. It wasn't like everyone was like, oh yeah, it happens all the time. We got a special code in the midwife's handbook about what we do under this certain situation. No, that didn't happen. It was just as crazy back then as it was now. You see, look at Joseph's response. He finds out Mary is pregnant, and he knows it wasn't him. And you can tell by the fact that he's thinking about breaking off this this marriage, breaking off this engagement, that he is not buying the immaculate conception line that she is giving, right? It's not until the angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and confirms to him Mary's story that he believes it. You see, people doubted it then, and people still doubt it today. Sometimes people try to mask the doubt that they have about this in, in translational confusion, right? That word for virgin there, it could mean something else. Like, it could just mean a young lady. Maybe, maybe it wasn't that. But, but that's not really why people doubt the virgin birth. You see, the Bible is repeatedly and emphatically clear that Mary was a virgin at the time of Jesus' conception. See, the real reason, as one commentator writes, springs from the assumption that God cannot or does not do miracles. And I just want to say this, if, if, you have a, if God being able to do or can do miracles, if that's a problem, then this is just the tip of the iceberg. And I don't say that in a condescending way. I just say to say the Bible is full of miracles. The, the Gospel of Matthew is full of miracles. And spoiler alert, it ends with the best, the best miracle of all, yet the most well-documented one, and that's the resurrection. You see, Matthew is highlighting the divinity of Jesus. He's telling us that he is the anointed Messiah, that that his real father is God. Mary was a virgin. He did not have a human father. And and if all that weren't clear enough, the angel tells Joseph that Jesus won't be this miraculous baby's only name. He'll also be known as Emmanuel, or God with us. You see, what Matthew is claiming here about Jesus is not that God has given us a representation of himself, but that God has come in person to be with us. You see, that is an incredible claim. Every other religion says that our founder was a great teacher. Our founder was a great teacher, and if you follow what they say, that's how you'll know how to get to God or or the best life. You see, but Christianity says that Jesus is not a guru or a wise teacher or a prophet. Christianity says that Jesus is God. That he is God who is with us, and this is the essential claim on which Christianity is built And if we abandon that Jesus is God, if we abandon that he is God who has come to be with us, then there is nothing left to stand on. So Matthew is emphasizing Jesus' divinity in the story of birth, but he's highlighting something else as well. He wants us to see the humanity of Jesus. And one of the key key details that Matthew emphasizes here is that Jesus had a human mother and that he was physically born into the world. He didn't just appear one day. He didn't just kind of like walk out of a river somewhere, just like fully formed, that he was born. And I think I took that for granted a lot growing up. It wasn't until the birth of our first child that I feel like that really sunk in for me. You see, childbirth is only beautiful in a metaphorical sense. That's the, only, that's the only place that that's beautiful, right? Every other part, let's just be honest, it's, it's not very pretty. In fact, no offense to anybody who has home births, but I was real glad that that mess was not made at my house, right? And that someone else was in charge of cleaning up. You see, see birth is not, it's not a beautiful thing in reality. It is, a, it is rough. You see, what a humbling thing for the God of the universe to be born as a baby. Not just as a man, but to come as a baby, 
You have to learn how to, to walk and to talk and to go through middle school. That was rough, right? You see, Matthew is trying to emphasize Jesus' humanity. Additionally, Jesus was not a special or unique name in and of itself. That name Jesus or Yeshua in the Greek is, is, the, is just Joshua in Hebrew. You see, that, that name, it just emphasizes Jesus' humanity. Lots of other little Jewish boys had that same name. You see, but none of them else were called Jesus the Messiah. Just him. You see, Jesus is unique. He is not just God. He is not just man. He is the God-man. You see, the reason Matthew is emphasizing both the divinity and the humanity of Jesus from the very outset of his gospel is because these two aspects of his nature have everything to do with Jesus' purpose, with his mission. See, verse 21 reads this way. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, that, that name Joshua or Yeshua, it means God saves. But the angel doesn't say Oh, this just means God saves. It means he saves. Because Jesus is God himself, and he is the one who has come to save. Jesus is the God who has become man in order to save his people from your, their sins. And you see, this is the message of Christmas, that God has come. But the good news of Christmas is only good if there's bad news. And the bad news is, is that humanity was stuck in sin and that we really needed a Savior you see, we were never going to be good enough or to make up for all our failings like we've seen throughout the book of Genesis as we studied it this fall. Is that Sin is not just bad behavior. Sin is not just bad decisions. Sin is not just, just wrong or incorrect morals. No, sin is rebellion. You see, sin is a rejection of God. It's a rejection of his rule and his authority. It's a spiritual mutiny. We think we know better than God. We want to be the ones who decide what is right and wrong. We want to be the ones who decide what is true and right and good. And we want to, we want to be the ones who decide what will satisfy and what will bring life and joy. And we want to be the ones who decide what we really need and what we really desire is, is the thing that is best for us. And so we oust God as king and we enthrone ourselves in king. And you see, that is the root of all sin. It was the root of the first sin in the garden and is the root of all our sin today. You see, our, our behavior is just a symptom of our mutinous rebellion against God. You see, that's what we need saving from. You see, if it was just bad decisions, just stop. Just stop making bad decisions and you'll be fine. You don't need a savior for that. But the truth is that what we've done is that we have rebelled against the king of the universe. You see, too often what we think that we need saving from is our bad decisions or our current situations. The, the Jews, were, they were looking for a Savior. They were looking for a Messiah who would come and set them free from the bondage of Roman oppression. But what they really needed saving from and what you and I really need saving from is an enemy far more powerful than Rome. It's the bondage of sin that we find ourselves stuck in. You see, and what Matthew is telling us here is that not only is Jesus the one who has come to save us from our sin, but that he is the only one who could. You see, we needed a Savior who was both God and man. You see, we needed a Savior who could serve as our substitute, as our representatives, and Jesus did. He lived the life that we were supposed to live. He had to face all the things that we had to face and fail, but in all those things, he succeeded. He was faithful, and he died the death that we should have died for our rebellion. He took our place on the cross as our representatives, and only he could do that, and he could only do it because he was fully man. 
You see, but we also needed a Savior who was capable of paying the penalty for our sin. You see, our sin is not just against one another. Our sin is against an infinite God. And so only an infinite Savior could pay the infinite penalty that we owe. One commentator sums it up this way. He writes, as fully God, Jesus was able to pay the eternal penalty for our sin for which in finite humanity could not atone. And as fully man, he could adequately be our representative and our substitutionary sacrifice. You see, the good news of Christmas is that we desperately needed a Savior. And that the only one who could save us. God kept the promises that he had made to Adam and to Abraham and to David and to every generation from the beginning on. And he did it by coming himself. Not by sending a representative, but by coming himself. You see, this is the best news that the world has ever heard. And it's news that God begins by revealing to Joseph, a humble carpenter from a no-name, tiny town. And what happens? He responds in faith and he responds in obedience and And we cannot take for granted his response or we are going to miss the significance of why Joseph is in this story altogether. You see, Mary's reputation was already lost. In that day, to have a child out of wedlock was the ultimate sin, right? Her reputation was gone. There was was no coming back from that. But Joseph, Joseph could still save his reputation by divorcing her quietly And so when Joseph chooses instead to obey the angel and to obey God and to marry marry Mary, what what he's saying to his community is basically he's, he's confessing that the baby is actually his. That's what the community will believe when he takes that action. You see, the angel didn't show up and explain the situation to everybody else. The angel didn't send out an email, hey, heads up, just so you know, everything's cool, right? Right? Everything's good. This is not weird. It's okay. No, nobody else got that message. It was just him. You see, going through with this marriage, it ruined both of their reputations. Furthermore, Joseph has the worst honeymoon of all time. Right? He's taking his hugely pregnant wife on a donkey across country, and he doesn't even get to consummate their marriage until after this baby that's not even his is born. Next week, we'll see that furthermore, they have to flee their home country because of this baby. You see, and what God is asking Joseph to do, he's asking him to believe the impossible and to live on faith in light of it. To risk everything in light of it. You see, and yet in all the accounts of Joseph, what we see, we never see him complaining. We never see him begrudging. I'm sure that guy had a million questions. But what we don't see is the questions that he had. What we see emphasizes his faithful obedience. So the question is just simply this for us. How do we respond to the revelation of God's son like Joseph did? How do we respond like that? That that kind of what Joseph chose to do, his obedience, that was wildly, that was huge. He was was committing to give up everything that he knew, his reputation, his future, his, his fulfillment, all that stuff. He gave all of that up in order to obey the Lord. The question is, how do we respond to the revelation of this son like he did in faith and obedience? And the answer is just simply this. We must behold the son. J.D. Greer, he writes this, to call, the call for us at Christmas is not to behave. It is to behold. You see, to behold the promised son. You see, what Matthew is claiming is that Jesus is not just a man who sacrificed himself for others. What Matthew is claiming is that Jesus is God. 
who humbled himself to become a man so that he might save sinners who rebelled against him. You see, and that is a truth when we behold it that demands a response. You see, you can either reject that claim and live your life any way you want to, or you can receive it and give your life wholly in worship to the God who has come to save you and to seek you. But the one response that makes absolutely no sense at all is a lukewarm religiosity. That makes no sense. Because either Jesus is a liar who claimed to be God and is worthless and should be ignored in every way, or he is who he says he is. He's the God of the universe who has come to, to has come in human form. You see, and we cannot respond to a God like that with lukewarm religiosity. No, what Jesus calls for is a life that is given to him in every way. See, Joseph, he beheld Jesus. Jesus was God. Jesus was man. Jesus was God with us. And, and on believing that truth, it changed everything about Joseph's life. And the question for us this morning is, is it changing you? You see, the truth of the gospel is, is that if your faith is not changed you, if it, if it has not changed you, then it hasn't saved you. You see, the gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. Tim Keller writes this, advice is counsel about what you must do. News is a report about what has already been done. Advice urges you to make something happen, but news urges you to respond to something that has already happened. Advice means it's up to you. News means it has already been done. You see, the message of Christmas is not to behave. The message of Christmas is to behold the Son. Behold the one who has come. To behold the Savior who has come. To behold the King who has come. See, and when we, by God's grace, see the beauty of that good news, when God, by His Spirit, opens our eyes so that we might behold the glory of the Son, oh, it changes everything about who we are. And what we long to do, what we will only long to do, is to give ourselves back to the one who has come for us, you see, and that's what we remember, and that's what we celebrate in communion. You see, the bread and the drink, they remind us of Jesus' body and of his blood, which were broken and shed for us as he lived the life that we should have lived, and as he died the death that we were supposed to die, and in paying the penalty only he could pay so that we could be forgiven and that we could be accepted by God. You see, what we're doing as we take communion every week is that we are proclaiming the gospel. We are reminding ourselves about who God is and who we are because of who he is and all that he has done. You see, communion, it does not make you right with God. It does not change your status or your standing with him in any way. You see, the only thing that can change your status or your standing with, with God is your faith in the Son. You see, it's Jesus' standing, which is the only one that we have. We cannot earn our way into God's favor. We cannot mess it up. The only way we get into right relationship with God is by putting our faith in the Son who has come to save us from our sins. And so this morning, if you have trusted Jesus and if you have believed the gospel, then during our time of worship, go back and take communion. Do it as a celebration. Do it as an enjoyment and a treasuring of the King and the, who has come to save you from your sins. And as you do, I would just encourage you, talk with God. What is keeping you from responding in faith and obedience like Joseph? Maybe it's fear or shame or guilt. 
Maybe there's something that you know God is asking you to leave and to give up that you value more than him. Maybe you already know that he's asking you to give something up and you just cannot do it. You see, I just want you to hear this this morning. Real life is only found in one place. It's worshiping at the feet of the God who came as a baby to come to seek and to save the lost. My heart for you this morning, this Christmas, is that you might lay down your rebellious heart that thinks you know best and instead enjoy the upside-down kingdom of Jesus, which brings the life and the joy that you are longing for. You see, the call of Christmas to behold the Son, it is free, but it will cost you everything, just like it did for Joseph. Oh, but it is worth it. My heart for you this Christmas is that it might be the first Christmas that you celebrate the true gift of Christmas. Jesus, Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful for you. God, we are so grateful that you would come to save us. God, we don't deserve that. We have not earned it. And without you, we are hopelessly lost in sin. So Jesus, we come with hearts that are full of joy because of you and all that you have done. God, thank you that you would come to seek and to save wicked sinners like me. Those who have rejected you, who have, who have dethroned you, and who have had a mutinous rebellion against you, Jesus, you came for people like me. And so, God, we come with hearts that are full of gratitude this morning. God, I pray for those who are here this morning who have not yet known you as the Son, who have not yet beheld you as the King who is worth giving their lives to Jesus. I pray this morning, by your Spirit, you would help them see who you are. God, that this Christmas would be good news for all of us because the King who we needed to come save us has come. Jesus, thank you that you are God. Thank you that you are man. Thank you that you are God with us sent to save us from our sins. We need you, Jesus. Thank you that you have come. Amen.